It's Wednesday, November 30th, 2022. This is the Kelly Letter Podcast, and I'm Jason Kelly. Two years into the pandemic, China was losing its so-called zero-COVID goal. Its lockdown of Shanghai, which is the country's largest city and its financial hub, had caused complete economic chaos and ticked off tens of millions of residents who couldn't go outside, not even to get food or to seek health care. And worst of all, the strict protocols that Xi Jinping and his communist cronies had put in place weren't helping. They never did help. It was a wrong-headed, unscientific approach from the get-go. During the lockdown of Shanghai, hundreds of new cases emerged. So that on top of the hardship of sickness, even perfectly healthy people suffered from unnecessary controls. So, did the communists in charge learn anything? No, of course not. They're hardened as they come. They refuse to acknowledge that COVID is now endemic, part of the fabric of life, constantly mutating and immune from containment measures. Ironically, China's lockdowns have worsened its problems because its giant population, which has been bottled up for more than two years, hasn't been exposed enough to the virus to enable herd immunity. That's out. And because China's vaccines are ineffective, that solution is out too. So there China sat, walled in by its government, cut off from its business partners, blocked from effective vaccines. Back in May... Yang Zhonghuang wrote in Foreign Affairs that, quote, the Chinese government insists on maintaining policies that are unsustainable and have little grounding in science. In doing so, it has shown an increasing willingness to put China's economy and even its local stability, its social stability, at risk, end quote. Chinese President Xi Jinping needed to secure a third consecutive appointment to office, and the misguided zero-COVID policy was and is his baby. Huang thought that, quote, if Beijing loses the trust and support of the public on this core issue at a time when the Chinese economy itself is suffering from continual lockdown shocks, a regime once known for its technocratic efficiency could soon face a growing legitimacy crisis, end quote. And that's exactly what happened. Earlier this fall, most of Asia began relaxing its stringent COVID mitigation measures. Taiwan reopened its borders and began phasing out its quarantine policies. South Korea said goodbye to its mask mandate and got rid of mandatory COVID tests for inbound travelers. Japan scrapped its pre-departure test requirement for travelers who had received at least one vaccine booster and fully reopened its borders for the first time since 2020. Here in Kyoto, where I'm recording this today, temples are swarming with visitors again for the first time in more than two years. Everywhere, the message is, the pandemic is over. Everywhere except China, that is. There, Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party doubled down on their zero-COVID policy, despite its being unscientific against common sense and just plain unwise. 
she and his stubborn co-rulers were too proud to accept effective Western vaccines, instead insisting on China's ineffective homegrown variety. And this is just another case of an autocratic, immature ruler in imposing his, his preferred worldview on everybody. China's just not there yet, and Xi Jinping wants to think that it's the new leader of the world. Now, I come at this from a biased standpoint. My, my longtime audience members know that I made videos about China now eight years ago or so, saying it just was not ready to become the leader of the world that it thought it would be. It doesn't make for much leadership when, when people don't pay attention to, to policies. They, 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 they have a preferred outcome in mind, and then they insist that that's what their, their underlings, their yes people, their toadies, deliver to them. And this is, of course, a bigger problem in any kind of autocratic government, and that's what China's has been forever and has become more hardline under Xi Jinping. And it, it's just... It, it aggravates to no end, doesn't it, that in, in 2022, in this modern era, we still have these rulership systems left over from hundreds of years ago. The biggest gorilla in town is in charge. And just whatever he thinks everybody has to agree to or they get in trouble, this is just absolutely proven to be the worst form of leadership. And yet it goes on and people allow it to go on. And maybe this time they won't. We'll get to that a little bit later. But it's been very hard to observe this. That this just stupid idea of locking everybody down and, and pretending that the pandemic isn't happening and wanting to the world to not, not acknowledge that it came from Wuhan and denying the world the information it needs to fight it more clearly because she doesn't want to suffer, Xi Jinping that is, doesn't want to suffer a personal embarrassment. And so he comes up with this lockdown, our entire country, the most populous on earth, and just hope that this thing goes away and we'll pretend it never happened. And ha, 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 look at the, the West panicking. We're going to do better. And then it turns out the lockdowns don't work. The West has a much better pharmaceutical industry. It develops vaccines that do work. And because of this one proud, immature man at the top in China, the world's most populous country is denied vaccines that actually work because it's a... It's damaging to his pride to acknowledge that. That's the pickle that China is in. Communism stinks, China. And the people know it. They just can't seem to get out from under it. Try as they might. So there they are with this stupid, wrong-headed, zero-COVID policy, just plain unwise. She and his stubborn co-rulers, too proud to accept these effective Western vaccines. And onlookers hoped that, that after... Xi Jinping's all-important 20th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party, which took place on October 16th through the 22nd in Beijing, the rulers of China would finally relax their political intransigence toward COVID. Everybody knew it was this bumper sticker political garbage that kept these unscientific policies in place. We have to pretend that Xi Jinping is always right. So maybe after Xi Jinping gets reappointed to an unprecedented third term, science can actually emerge, take over the scene here, instead of insecure Xi Jinping's personal desires. Well, he got his unprecedented third term as China's dictator. The political I's were dotted and the T's crossed. And still, the old guard held firm against the growing cost and diminishing benefits of its zero COVID fantasy. 
And on top of the societal impact of these draconian ideas, they were taking a toll on the economy and threatening China's dreams of greatness. Lockdowns are awful for business, of course, and a growing cohort of Chinese people began complaining about this, as did political partners overseas. In the Financial Times, for example, Shan Weijian, who is the chair and CEO of Pacific Alliance Group, that's a, a leading Asia-focused private equity firm, wrote in April that popular discontent in China was at its highest point since the 1989 Tiananmen Square crackdown. He thought China's economy was in, quote, the worst shape in the past 30 years, end quote. Turning elsewhere, Chinese dissident and scholar of political theory Kai Xia was a professor at the Central Party School of the Chinese Communist Party from 1998 to 2012, an absolute insider here. In 2020, after she criticized Xi Jinping, who can never handle a contrary opinion, she was expelled from the party, stripped of her retirement benefits, and warned that her safety was in danger. She now lives in exile in the United States, but stays in touch with many of her contacts in China. In the September-October issue of Foreign Affairs, the 70-year-old Xia wrote, quote, The more a political system centers on a single leader, the more the flaws and peculiarities of that leader matter. And in the case of Xi, the leader is thin-skinned, stubborn, and dictatorial. He's a micromanager. He acts as chairman of everything. Why, unlike his predecessors, is she so resistant to others' advice? Part of the reason, I suspect, is that he suffers from an inferiority complex, knowing that he is poorly educated in comparison with other top CCP leaders. End quote. CCP being the Chinese Communist Party. Among other shortcomings of, of Xi's, he is suspected of plagiarism on his PhD dissertation on Marxist theory. So in the 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 insider joke here is that he couldn't even get his communism right. His Marxism isn't even right. It's not even valid. He had to plagiarize somebody else for that. So even the core of his political identity, he swiped from somebody else, showing that China's deep-seated culture of stealing your way to the top exists all the way to the top. And now this bullheaded, insecure autocrat was cratering the country on a fantasy of zero COVID. That was the case last spring and into this fall, right? Earlier this fall. And he had just secured a third term to keep at it. Enough already, went the hue and cry. Then the flames erupted, literally. Fire consumed an apartment building in China's far western region of Xinjiang in its capital city of Urumqi, killing 10 people inside. The tragedy set off an outpouring of anger online and a street protest last Friday, that was November 25th. Residents demanded that lockdowns be lifted, many of them having been confined to their homes for more than three months. It could have been any of us, they collectively hinted. Analysts warned that more unrest could further slow the production and distribution of integrated circuits, machine parts, household appliances, and more it it's of course it always comes back to the economy of all of us watching from afar we're most of us don't have relatives in china we're not directly affected by awful conditions in china the the forced 
concentration camps, the awful labor conditions, just the awfulness of China in general. If you have ever been to China, you will find yourself nodding in agreement with me that it is one seriously depressing place. A, a literal gray cloud hangs over almost every urban area you go to, and it's just an awful place. And 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 yet it, it makes everything that the rest of the world designs. It's the world's factory floor. It, it's just a, a crying shame that, that all of this awfulness that goes on in China is tolerated by the world because it makes everything on the cheap. And so most coverage quickly gets to the economy. What does this matter to me? How is this going to affect my Christmas shopping plans and so on? And I, I'm, not, I'm not making fun of that entirely. I mean, that really is the only way that it affects most of us. We're, what are we supposed to do about smog over Shanghai, you know? But anyway, sometimes it is just discouraging to see that, that every, every story comes back to the economic angle, even though I specialize in finance and the economy. And so I will look at that a little bit here. But just so you know, a lot of the coverage very quickly turns into what will this mean for our supply chains? And that's exactly it. And companies in the United States and Europe are thinking, hmm, China's blowing up, China's melting down, whichever direction it's going badly. And so we need to diversify our supply chains. However, it, just, just so you know, on an economic sidebar here, the, the biggest economic problem for China is, is not about people protesting, people not showing up for work to assemble the latest widget made by somebody in the West. The problem is zero COVID. I mean, that, that's the biggest problem. The, the protests on their own are not, I mean, sad to say, they're probably not going to do much. I hope they do, and I'm going to emphasize that message later. I really hope they do. I really hope we can move beyond Xi Jinping and this outdated, absurd communist rulership. But the odds are low. We've seen this kind of thing before. They're probably going to be get squashed. The, the Chinese ruling party knows how to deal with these mass incidents. That's their internal shorthand for these. We have another mass incident. Go to the usual game plan. You know, tolerate it for a couple of days. Pretend it's not going on. Don't allow it to be covered in media. Throw the people in jail, the main ones. Put up guards. Uh, point people to the grocery store. And in a few months, it'll blow over. And it usually does. So the economists say this is good news because it means the rest of the world can continue turning to China for what it does best, which is make things on the cheap. And that, that's legitimate, by the way. I've, I've printed many books in my lifetime, and I have looked at printers in China. I've seen even that with shipping, it comes out ahead, and Chinese business people can be very pleasant to deal with. So anybody who's trying to keep decent margins from anywhere in the world finds themselves eventually turning to China because it is very competitive in these matters. And as you're deciding whether to print books or make a widget or a new screen or a new whatever it is, if they can do it 30% cheaper from in China, including shipping costs, it sure is appealing as you're trying to keep your, your company afloat. And you end up justifying it internally by saying, I have all these, these payroll, I have this payroll to make, so what am I going to do? Cause my people suffering by not doing business with China and I don't even participate in the suffering that's going on over there. So it's easy to see how we get here. Not everybody's involved except these darn communists at the top over there. Meanwhile, economists outside of China do not see a whole lot of economic impact from the, the current uprising taking place. And they're saying this is very good news because China really is the, 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 the world's manufacturing floor. It is the largest importer of petroleum, and it made 30% of the world's goods 
in 2021. So, so there, there we go. Uh, the zero COVID policy was, was a train wreck. People were tired of it, but they knew that Xi Jinping had to stick with it until he got appointed to an unprecedented third term. After that, maybe things would get better. But then he was appointed again. Things didn't get better. And finally, the people couldn't take it anymore when their own population locked into a building and burned alive. Maybe these policies have gone far enough. So the uprising was underway. And in the West, the chorus was, oh, that's too bad, but it should be taken care of quite quickly. Meanwhile, your supply chains should be just fine. But the people protesting weren't thinking about supply chains. They were thinking about growing up under these thumbscrews and wanting that to change. So that's where things stand. Xi Jinping's legitimacy is in doubt as his country rises up against its antiquated totalitarian government. Talk about an anachronism. Protests continued overnight in China's manufacturing hub of Guangzhou. So they've been moving around the country from Shanghai to Beijing to parts in the in, in the, the west, the interior, the countryside. And, and last night they went to Guangzhou, the manufacturing hub. COVID case counts are high, though may have stabilized, but pressure is on China to use Western vaccines. You know, the ones that actually work. Here's how the Washington Post put it yesterday. Quote, Xi Jinping often speaks of the need for China to be self-sufficient in advanced technologies. Chinese biomedical firms are racing to produce their own mRNA vaccines, but none of the 10 products under development have concluded the phase three trials needed to show effectiveness in a general population. Some experts on Chinese health policy argue that additional treatment options cannot address the fundamental problem that the government's commitment to its policy is rooted in politics as well as virology. Early on, Chinese state media linked the success of epidemic control to the superiority of China's political system under Xi Jinping, end quote. And what a bad bet that turned out to be. Even if China's case counts have stabilized, they've done so near 40,000 per day, the highest levels of the pandemic, just as other countries are moving on. There's just no getting around it. Zero COVID is a bust. As for forecasts for China's economy, they're dropping by the day. To take one of many examples, Bloomberg Economics reduced its forecast for China's fourth quarter growth to 2.9% from 4.8% previously anticipated. Growth for the whole calendar year is now expected to be 3%, which is practically a recession compared with China's historical rates and its own government's 5% growth goal. Lock the people in buildings, burn them alive for the pride of the, the guy at the top. We're going to grow this sucker at 5% no matter what, except, gosh, locking people in buildings and burning them alive is just not great for the economy, it turns out. Basically, China's back to the 1970s on the wrong-headed policy of its, uh, policies of its insecure dictator, who is a throwback to the 1960s. That's when Mao Zedong reached the height of his power, and it's in Mao's historical shadow that Xi tries to make a name for himself. He's making one all right, but it's hardly anything that will glow through the annals of time, just as Mao is largely remembered for killing, what, 50 million people in the greatest famine of all time, triggered by his yanking China from a farming economy to an industrial one. 
So might she be remembered for whiffing the COVID pandemic and face-planning his Communist Party. Go, Chinese dissidents, I say. Throw off your yokes. Fight for your freedom and don't give up short of the goal, the way your predecessors did after the Tiananmen Square protests of 1989. The failure of that uprising is why you're not allowed to discuss it aloud in China today. Enough with strongman leaders. Follow the chants of the Shanghai crowd. Xi Jinping, step down. Xi Jinping, step down. Xi Jinping, step down. That's the spirit. Go get them, guys. Thank you for listening. This is the Kelly Letter Podcast, and I'm Jason Kelly. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast from any of the easy links at jasonkelly.com to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms. Love to see you on the list of the Kelly Letter, still near the lows of the year, but kicking off a a longer-term recovery, we hope, or continuing a longer-term recovery, we hope. This China business, much as I don't like to link it to the finance, I should at least mention that it's not going to do much to the long-term recovery. Whatever damage supply chains have been able to do because of COVID, they've already done. What's going on in China is about socialism, communism, and democracy, and the right of people to live the way they want to live, not under some misguided dictator's rule. So I will mention that I don't expect this China uprising to affect the financial markets or the recovery that's, that's taking root, but I also don't in my heart think that it's mainly about that. Nonetheless, I would love to see you on board of the Kelly Letter. You can subscribe today at jasonkelly.com. I send new letters every Sunday morning, so I would see you again this very Sunday. Thank you, as always, for doing business with me. Let's enjoy recovery into a new profit zone, even as we hope that China can get a decent government going one of these days. See you Sunday.